Amen. Thank you very much, Janet, for the song. Every Sunday morning that we come to church, it's a reminder that Jesus arose from the dead and should also be a reminder that Jesus is coming back. Thank the Lord for our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, if you would please, and turn to the book of John, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. Last year, or uh, last year, it was last year, we ended a one-year study, uh, one year of study in the Gospel of John. And very appropriately, I think, the last Sunday morning of 2006, I preached a message entitled, A Spiritual Checkup. And in that sermon, we were able to take a look at ourselves and see if we truly are disciples of Christ. Are we people who really follow the Lord? Today, of course, is the first Sunday of the new year. And once again, I think that the subject is very appropriate because I'd like to talk to you about obedience to God's greatest command. Today's message is all about how a believer in Jesus Christ can actually show the rest of the world that he is a true believer. If I were to ask you this morning how many commandments there are in the Bible, just about everybody, I think, would raise their hand and they would say, well, there are ten commandments in the Bible. And you may not be able to name but three or four of them, but you've heard that there are ten commandments that are in the Bible. Now, I once heard a preacher say that there were over 5,000 commandments in the Bible. And I don't know if he actually counted those, but that could be true. There very well may be over 5,000 commandments that God has given in the Scriptures. But there's one thing that we do know for sure, and that is that all of God's commandments, these ten commandments that he gave, are representative of all of his commands. But when we come to our text verses that I want to read today, it looks like that Jesus is adding one more commandment to those list of ten. And really, this commandment that Jesus gave supersedes all of the rest of the commandments. In fact, I would say that if you keep this one commandment, You don't have to worry about the other 10. You don't have to worry about 5,000 other commandments that may be in the Word of God. If you keep this commandment correctly, you'll keep all of the commandments correctly. Now, the 11th commandment is a commandment about love. And that's what I'm going to term it today, the 11th commandment. And love, perhaps, is the most misused, most misunderstood word in the English language. And that's because we use love for a lot of different things. I love ice cream. I love warm summer days. Where's Dave? He says, I love my Mini Cooper. I love hot dogs and apple pie. I love you, man. And we use love in in so many different ways, but not one of those ways is exactly the same way that Jesus uses it here in John chapter 13. Jesus describes love much differently. So today we're going to talk about the greatest commandment in God's Word. Now I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word this morning. Uh, We'll do it just a little bit differently. If you have John 13, verses 34 and 35, I'd like you to read those verses out loud with me. Jesus is speaking, and in verse number 34, as we read together, "...a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another." By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for the time that we have to spend together today. Lord, help us to understand in just a greater way what this new commandment that Jesus gives is all about. And may we be a people who truly love as Jesus loved. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin this morning, I want to consider the context for these words that Jesus just spoke. 
In just 12 hours, Jesus would go to the cross. In 24 hours or less, the body of Jesus would be lying lifeless and cold in a grave. And as Jesus spoke these words, the, the cross was very heavily weighing upon his mind. And in these last hours, Jesus took uh, some time to give his disciples his most revolutionary teachings. In John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus taught some things there that shook the world. And in fact, religious people have been debating for centuries what all of these things mean. How are we to take these last words that Jesus gave and actually apply them to everyday living? So Jesus waited until the very end of his life to give his disciples the most important information. And as we discussed last week, this information was not for all. These speeches that he made right here were to his disciples as an intimate group and to them alone. These were intended for those disciples and everyone who would believe through their testimony. So I think it's wrong for us to take the words out of their context and to apply them to people that the Lord is not talking about. And it's also wrong to apply that to any type of person who who is a pretender to being a disciple of Jesus. Now, these words are very important. As I said, these are words that supersede all Jewish laws, all Jewish customs. These are go above and beyond those things. Now, the teaching is about love. And Jesus emphasized that because all of us have trouble loving other people. Just the other day, I heard a prayer that someone prayed. And this person said, Lord, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been nasty. I haven't been grumpy or selfish. I haven't wronged anybody. And Lord, I'm really glad of that. But in just a few minutes, I have to get out of bed. And Lord, I'm going to need a lot of help. And that's true, isn't it? We need a lot of help loving people the way that we should. And so today we have an opportunity here to evaluate how that we're living our lives according to Christ's greatest commandment. And I want you to notice three things today that are new about this 11th commandment that Jesus gave the disciples. First of all, Jesus gave a new demand for love. There's a new demand here. Well, we think about it. What is really so new about what Jesus said? I mean, the, New, the Old Testament had already given us different things that we're to learn about this idea of love. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, that's a commandment that was given 1,500 years before Jesus quoted almost those exact words that we read in John chapter 13. So what's so new about this? Looks like it's been around for 1,500 years before Jesus spoke it. Well, one thing we notice here is that Jesus did not say, love your neighbor if he loves you. Now, Leviticus says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. In other words, what God gave in Leviticus was a command for Israel. If your people harm you, then don't be so hasty to hurt them. But this is for your people. This is for Jews. I mean, others are excluded from this. But we notice as Jesus gives his command, this is not a physical command. It's not one for a certain group of people. Rather, Jesus is giving us here a spiritual command. And the effect of this new law is that it's elevated beyond anything that the disciples have seen before. The Old Testament law, we remember, says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It says if somebody breaks your finger then you have the right to break their finger. 
Somebody steps on your toes, you have the right to step on their toes. If someone hurts you in any way, you have the right to retaliate in like manner. And that's because the Old Testament is a book about justice. And so when it comes to the idea of love, love is for those who love you. So how does Jesus modify the law? Well, Jesus tells us that even if someone doesn't love you, and if someone does hurt you, your response is not to retaliate. In fact, you're to love that person whether or not the person loves you. And that's hard for us, isn't it? I mean, that's a difficult concept for us to grasp. This idea goes against the very laws of human nature, the things that are written in our heart. We don't like this. You know, we always want to hurt people who hurt us. And most of the time, we want to hurt them more than they hurt us. You can watch little children as they're playing. And you ever notice when a little child takes a toy away from another one? The one child goes back to get his toy, but he goes back with a vengeance. He's not content just to get the toy back. He takes the toy back, and then he hits the kid on the head with a stick. He wants to hurt him more than he's been hurt. Now, this is just a totally new concept for the disciples. Here they are living under an oppressive, sometimes abusive government. And what this actually means is that they must love the Romans, they must love other Gentiles, and they must love even their own people, the Jews, when those people have hurt them. When they're wronged, Jesus said you're to love them anyway. So there's a new demand that Jesus gives here, a demand that overlooks all ills and overlooks all the wrongs that are done and says that there is to be no retaliation. Now, secondly, we see that Jesus gives a new definition of love. We actually have here a whole new set of defining parameters. Notice what Jesus says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. In other words, he's saying, in the same way that I love you, you must love others. Now, I think I need to go back and, and, and qualify for this for just a moment. Remember what I've said earlier? Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are believers. And Jesus loved his people in a very uncommon way. And what Jesus is teaching here is not some kind of general love for all of mankind, not an expression here of benevolence or a certain type of common grace. This is a very special love that Jesus has for believers. And Jesus loves his people in a sense that he loves no other people. And so if we take and we generalize Jesus' statements in the passage, then, and we say that, well, Jesus and God loves every person the same, whether or not you blaspheme the name of Christ or whether you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's not actually the teaching of Scripture. And that's the, the problem with evangelical preaching today. Preaching makes no distinction between hell-bound sinners and heaven-bound saints. And so preachers will preach that you deserve to put the smiley sticker on your forehead. It says, God loves me. And it doesn't make any difference whether you love Christ or not. Now, that's not actually the teaching of the Bible. Now, it's certainly not Jesus' teaching as he's sitting here in an intimate setting with his disciples only. Now, don't misunderstand me because there is a sense in which God loves all people. There is a sense in which he does. But what we have here is a very definite distinction between believers and unbelievers. We say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, as I have loved you. And he's specifically talking to those, to those disciples that are in the room. When we get over to John 17 a little bit later, that's going to become abundantly clear to us because Jesus, who always has his disciples on his mind, began to pray. And in John 17, verse number 9, Jesus said, I pray for them. 
I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And so Jesus gives a new definition of love. You love others the way I have loved you. And why did Jesus say this? Because the greatest example of love was ready to leave the world. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so in a very short time, Jesus would leave the earth. He would be gone. And therefore, the greatest example of love would be gone from this world. And that's actually what prompted Jesus' teachings about love in this chapter. He says in the 33rd verse of John 13, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So Jesus would no longer be in the world to light the world. So what does he tell his disciples in relationship to this? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching and he says to his disciples, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the room. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so the new definition that Jesus gives of love enables these disciples to replace the imperfect love that they have for the perfect love of Jesus Christ. Now I want to go on to the third way in which the commandment is new, and that is Jesus gives a new demonstration of love. Now I want you to fasten your seatbelt for this, because if you don't keep up with me on this, this is going to blow your mind what Jesus says here. Look at verse 35. He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, what Jesus is doing is giving a whole new criterion for determining, is this person a Christian or is he not a Christian? Now, the first thing that comes into my mind is the misinterpretation of a totally different passage of Scripture. In John chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged. And people will take that verse and they'll run with it. And they'll say, well, that means that nobody has the right to say whether what I do is right or wrong. You have no right at all to judge my spirituality. And they misinterpret the scriptures. And so we see that Jesus comes along in John chapter 13. And now he says, I am giving the world permission to judge you. They can judge whether or not you're a Christian. Well, how do we do that? How do we judge whether or not a person is actually a Christian? You know, some people will say, well, to show that you people you're a Christian, what you really need to do is wear a cross around your neck. Wherever you go, you need to wear a cross, and that will identify you as a Christian. Some people say, well, I think it's better if you put a fish on the back of your car. And then when people see the fish, then they'll know that you're really a Christian. And I would say to you that if that cross that you wear or that little sign on the back of your car is your sign that you are a Christian, then what you need to do is make sure you never take that anywhere where a Christian ought not to go. Don't you ever drive your car erratically on the highway again. Don't you ever cut anybody off or get mad when somebody cuts you off if that's your sign of being a Christian. I heard this about uh, when, the, when the little bumper stickers first came out years and years ago that said, Honk if you love Jesus. Well, this is back when it first came out. And there was a fellow pulled up behind another one at a stoplight. And he was sitting there and he saw that little bumper sticker on the car. Honk if you love Jesus. And he'd never seen that before. He thought that was really cute. cute. So he just laid on the horn. Honk if you love Jesus. 
Well, the guy in the front of him rolled down his window and looked back and said, you blankety-blank so-and-so, can't you see the light's still red? <laughs> Got to be careful with things like that. If that's your sign, you better be sure that you're doing what's right. Other people say, well, there has to be some kind of a picture that you hang on your wall. Maybe you hang a picture of Jesus on your wall, and that'll prove that you're a Christian. Or put a plaque on the wall that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's my sign. But you know, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say that any of those things will prove that you're a Christian. What did he say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And what that means, folks, is that every person has the right to judge whether or not you are a Christian by the way that you love. And if someone comes to you and says that you are not acting in love and you don't act like a Christian, they have a right to judge you in that way. They can pass judgment. Here's what Francis Schaeffer wrote. He said, Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows to all Christians. And we must not get angry. If people say you don't love other Christians, we must go home, get down on our knees, and ask God whether or not they are right. And if they are, then they have the right to say what they said. So Jesus says, I am giving you a mark that you can be judged by, and I am giving the world the right to make an evaluation of you. And so what we need to be so concerned about is how do we live up to this 11th commandment that Jesus has given? Do we really show other people that we're true believers in Jesus. Now, very quickly today, I've run through these three points about the newness of Christ's law and Christ's commandment. In many senses, what I've done today is just given you a very brief theological exposition of what Jesus said there, to love one another and to keep this commandment and to show other people what that means, that you're really a, a true believer in Christ. But let's take just a moment and make an application of this. Next few minutes, we want to make an application of the 11th commandment. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13, and most of you will recognize that that is the Bible's love chapter. Arthur Pink said that 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is the explanation of John 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, I want you to look, if you would please, at 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. And I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read it a little bit differently, perhaps, than you've read it before. Now, beginning in verse number 4, if you have the King James Version that we read from, uh, you'll notice that the word charity is in that verse, and charity is substituted there for love. That's what they use for love. Now, beginning in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, I'm going to substitute the word Jesus for the word charity. Charity means love, but let's look and see what happens when we substitute Jesus. Now, here we go. Verse number number 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus suffereth long and is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave himself unseemly, seeketh not his own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Jesus never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, when you read the scripture substituting Jesus, then you see some of the characteristics of how Jesus loves So what did Jesus say back in the 13th chapter of John? He said, as I have loved you, 
you are to love one another. Well, now let's look and see what this passage is when we actually look like Jesus. When we take on the characteristics of Jesus, how should this read? Well, this time, instead of the word charity or the word Jesus, I'll substitute the word I. I suffer long and am kind. I envy not. I vaunt not myself. I am not puffed up. I do not behave myself unseemly. I seek not my own. I am not easily provoked. I think no evil. I rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. I bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. I never fail. And you could add right there with Jesus' help, I never fail. Now that's the evaluation. And the question is for you, how do you measure up to the way that Jesus loved? Do you fit into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the explanation of John chapter 13? Now, very quickly, I want to show you some things from 1 Corinthians 13 and the effect that the new commandment has that Jesus gives in John 13. The first effect of it is that love makes a choice to be patient with irritating people. Do you know any irritating people? You ever met anybody like that? You know, my daughter Lauren is, is, is fond of saying, Dad, that person irritates me so bad, I think I'm going to snap. You ever meet any irritating people? Let's get one huge misconception about love out of the way before we go on. Friends, understand that love is a choice. Love is not a feeling. And we're so confused about that. Love is not a feeling. And you know what happens when you base your love on feelings? When the feeling's gone, the love is gone. The feeling goes, love goes with it. When the feelings rise, when the emotions rise, the love goes with it. So it's up and down, it's in and out, it's gone, it's back. Love's not a feeling. Love is a deliberate choice that you make. Now, in the end of the message, I'm going to show you exactly why that's true. Now, here's what happens when you decide that you're going to follow Christ's command to love as he loves. When you say, God, help me to love irritating people, help me to love mean people, then you can be sure that God's going to put some unlovable, mean, irritating person right in your path. And God's going to expect you to love them. Now, maybe you've heard this story about Charlie. Charlie was a, was a deer hunter. At least he thought that he, or excuse me, a bear hunter. I mean, at least he thought he was the greatest bear hunter, I think, that ever lived. Every day he would go to work and he would brag on himself about how he was a fearless bear hunter. And every day the guys at work would listen to that. So one day they decided, well, what we're going to do, we're going to organize a bear hunting expedition and we'll let Charlie show us how to hunt bear. So they, they organized this. They rented a cabin up in the woods. And uh, they got up there, and they started to set the cabin up. And they told Charlie, now, Charlie, we're going to get everything ready. We'll get everything ready, and you go find us a bear while we're getting things ready. Now, what he didn't know is they were setting him up to show that he was really just a braggart. He didn't really know how to hunt bear. He just liked to brag all the time. So they handed Charlie a thirty thirty rifle with blanks in it. And they said, Charlie... You go out and you find us a bear. When you get back, we'll have everything set up and ready to go. Well, Charlie went out, and they didn't really expect that Charlie would ever come across a bear. But come across a bear, he did. And when he saw this bear, Charlie was just frightened out of his wits. And so he raised the gun nervously, and he took one shot, and nothing happened. Took another shot, nothing happened. Three shots, nothing happened. Well, he's so scared now that he takes the rifle and he throws it at the bear. And he takes off running towards the cabin. So he's running towards the cabin. The bear's following. He's running. The bear's following. 
Charlie gets right up to the door of the cabin, and he stumbled. And right as he stumbled, the bear lunged at him and sailed right over his head through the cabin door and landed right in the middle of the card table. Now, these guys are sitting there. Cards go everywhere. Men go everywhere. Bear goes everywhere. And they're all sitting there sort of stunned for just a minute. The men, the men are stunned. The, the bear is stunned. And in that moment, Charlie raises up his head, and he says, you guys skin that one, and I'm going to get you another one. <laughs> now, here's what happens. Here's what happens when you decide that you're going to love unlovely people. God's going to throw you in the cage with an irritating person. He's going to say, there you go. Love on that one for a while. And when you're done with him, I'll go get you another one. That's what happens. Folks, it's not hard to love people who love you. But it's hard to love mean, irritating people. Number two, love makes the choice to exhibit kindness even if it's not deserved. Now, what we have learned throughout our lives is that we treat people with kindness when they treat us kindly. We're mean to people who are mean to us, and we're ugly to people who are ugly to us. Do you remember I told you once about this ongoing feud that, that Winston Churchill had with Lady Astor? And, and they just had to prove how much they disliked one another. And so one time, Lady Astor says to Winston Churchill, she says, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I would poison your tea with arsenic. And Winston Churchill said, Lady Astor, if I was your husband, I would gladly drink it. (laughs) Kindness is not often deserved. But remember here that Jesus says to love as he loved. And we didn't deserve any kindness from Jesus. In fact, we hated him. We hated what he stood for. We were in rebellion against Christ. We sinned against him. And it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But love makes a decision, makes a choice to exhibit kindness when it's not deserved. Number three, love makes the choice to put your needs in front of mine. And isn't that the exact opposite of the way that we think today? Self is number one on our list of priorities. It's always me. It's always I'm number one. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. You know the reason why we have millions of abortions in our country today? Self and selfishness. Why do we have divorces? Self and selfishness. A husband says to his wife or a wife to her husband, you're not taking care of my needs. You're not sensitive enough to me. Where's that in the Bible? Where where does it say that? What Christian ever had a right to get a divorce? Where, Where did we ever get this whole idea that it's me, me, me all of the time? You know where it came from? Way back in the beginning of creation, when Satan said, it's all about me. I want to be God. I deserve to be God. And you know what Adam did? He followed Satan's example. And ever since then, every generation that's ever lived has been a me generation. Now, what Jesus came to do is to restore the whole world to the state that it was in before man fell. And one day, he will do that. All things will be brought back together. Everything will be set up right. But until that happens, folks, we have got to keep the 11th commandment. Now, let me illustrate for just a moment the idea of you before me. Properly loving someone, you before me. How many of you remember that, that famous O. O. Henry story about the gift of the Magi? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you remember that. Most of the time that's told at Christmas. But the story is about a husband and a wife who are very much in love with one another. And yet their economic circumstances were very poor. 
They each wanted to buy one another a gift. Della had long, beautiful, flowing hair, and Jim had a beautiful golden pocket watch, an heirloom that was passed down from his father and his grandfather before him. Christmas was on the next day, and all that Della had to her name was $1.87, but she wanted to buy Jim a present. Jim knew that Della had been saving, and he was sure that she had some grand present that she was going to present to him, so he also wanted to buy her a present, but Jim didn't have anything to buy a present with. And so with no money, Jim decided that he was going to buy some beautiful combs that he saw in a neighborhood store. He thought those would be just perfect for Della's hair. So he sold his precious pocket watch, and he bought these combs for Della's hair. Meanwhile, Della didn't have anything to buy, any money to buy Jim an appropriate gift with. And so what she decided to do was go sell her hair. She went to a wig maker, cut the hair off, sold it to him, and he gave her $20. And with that $20, she bought a golden chain for Jim's golden pocket watch. Now, needless to say, Della had no hair for her combs, and Jim had no watch for his chain. But you know the beauty of that story? Each of them was willing to give up what was most precious to them for the other person so their needs could be met. Now, friends, that is how Jesus loves. Jesus gave up what was most valuable to him. And what was it? His relationship with his heavenly Father. He gave that up and became sin for us. On the cross, the Bible tells us that God had to turn his back on his own son, Jesus Christ. And in that moment when that fellowship was broken, you know the only thing that mattered? Our needs. The only thing that mattered was what we need. Number four, love makes a choice to forgive whether a person asks or not. Jesus told us to forgive and keep on forgiving. Peter came to Jesus and asked him about forgiveness Matthew chapter 18, it says, Then Peter, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seven times seventy. If you know the story, you know that Jesus right after this went into the parable of the master and the unjust servant. The servant owed his master a sum of money that it was impossible for him to pay, a great sum of money. And when the master, the master asked payment for it, the servant couldn't pay. And so the master was going to take and, and sell this man's wife and his children into slavery in order to pay the debt. But the servant begged the master not to do that. And so the servant was forgiven of the debt. But then this same servant went out and he found another person who owed him a sum of money that was far less than what he owed... And he demanded that payment be made. He took the man by the throat and he said, if you don't pay this, then I'm going to turn you in. I'm going to, you're going to have to go to jail. Well, the man couldn't pay. And so he also begged for mercy. But you know what happened? The servant who was forgiven much did not forgive the man and had him thrown into prison. You know the moral of the story that Jesus told? Friends, we owed a debt that we couldn't possibly pay. We couldn't pay it. And Jesus came to forgive us of that debt and to pay our debt for us. Jesus did it selflessly. And not only that, he didn't stop at one act of forgiveness. He keeps on forgiving. Every day we sin against him, and still every day Jesus forgives us. This is what Jesus said, Love as I love. 
And that's a whole new dimension that he's given us. Now lastly today, number five, love makes a choice to keep on loving even when the feeling is gone. You know, I made the statement a moment ago that love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. Love is not uncontrollable. Love is not your hormones. It's not something that you fall in and out of. And our conception of love is simply not a biblical conception. Love is a decision. When we think about the love of God, it was his love for his people in eternity past that was a deliberate decision that he made. And because of his deliberate decision, he sent Jesus into the world. There was no feeling or emotion involved in that at all. And since the foundation of love is not emotion, then that tells us that true love will continue when the feelings are gone. Wives and husbands say, well, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. I mean, it just doesn't feel the same as when we first got married. Then you never had love. What you had was lust. And you know, there are many children who suffer today because their parents are lustful people and not loving people. The very best proof that we have from the Scriptures that love is not a feeling is the example of Jesus himself when Jesus went to the cross. Now, earlier I said that as Jesus tells his disciples this, he's just a few hours away from the crucifixion. In just a few short hours, he would be beaten unmercifully. His back would be shredded and become a bloody mess. His beard would be plucked out. Nails would be driven into his hands and his feet. Long, spike-like thorns would be made into a crown and pressed down into his forehead. Let me ask you, do you think that Jesus' feelings changed? You might surprise you, but I say his feelings most certainly did change. It didn't feel good to have all those things done to him. It didn't feel good for vile, wicked men to spit in his face. It didn't feel good to have that cross dropped into a hole... And then when that cross found the bottom of that hole, his whole body shook. He writhed in pain and agony. His feelings changed. But you know something? Jesus determined that he would endure it all because his love was not based based on feelings. His love was based in the decision that he made. And you know what the decision was? He states it very clearly for us numerous times in the Gospel of John that I might glorify my Father who is in heaven. It was a decision. And friend, when you decide that you're going to love as Jesus loved, you have made a decision to glorify our heavenly Father. Now, sometimes Christians feel so sorry for themselves. I mean, they sit down and they have their, their pity party. Tears come to their eyes. Nobody loves me. Did the Bible say that you are supposed to be loved? It says, you are to love. The command is for you to love. Love people whether or not they love you. So I'd ask you, do you have trouble loving today? There's an 11th commandment that we find in the scriptures. It's the most important one in all of the Bible. It shows us a new demand for love, a new definition of love, a new demonstration of love. And so Jesus tells all of us, if you are true disciples, if you really are a believer in me, then just go out and love somebody. That's the 11th commandment. Would you pray with me, please? Well, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word today. 
And we thank you for Jesus Christ who did make a decision to come to this world. He loved us. We thank you for the love of the Father who sent him. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to endure all the pain and suffering of the cross because you truly do love us. Lord, help us to take this example to heart. Help us to understand, to show other people that we truly are believers in Jesus Christ, that we ought to love as you loved. Bless us in this time of invitation. Speak to some heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?